Hi everyone and welcome to The Best is Net to Come. There is a short clip on YouTube of the Nets Celtics Conference Finals in 2002, where the broadcast team, TNT I believe, cut to the Armor All Wipes spectacular finish, which is a segment where they show classic moments in the sports history. Now this particular finish was the final seconds of the 1976 ABA Championship, the New York Nets' second and final championship in Long Island, their last with Dr. J. The decisive Game 6 against the Denver Nuggets ends, and the crowd spills onto the court, jumping around with the team. The announcer says it best, in a voice coarse from screaming, pandemonium, as the New York Nets win 112-106. Julius Irving was the most valuable player of this ABA playoffs. He won that distinction previously in 1974 and became the only player in ABA history to repeat as the MVP of the league. The doctor averaged a phenomenal 37.7 points a game in this series. In this final game, the Nets trailed the Nuggets by 22 points in the third quarter. Dr. J led the way back to victory. Jim Eakins, the seven-foot lanky Nets center, is jumping up and down with his arms flailing like a kid on his birthday. Fans are swarming around him and the other players in center court. It almost looks like they're trying to climb him like a tree. Players are celebrating with strangers. It's just a delight to watch. These people love their nets, and the nets delivered. Twice. Then the flashback sadly ends, and we cut back to 2002. The broadcast team, for some miserable reason, decided to highlight how the nets had fared since leaving New York and joining the NBA. It showed that from 1976 to 2002, the Nets sputtered out 18 losing seasons. That's around 70% of their seasons to that point. They then go on to quote Bob Ryan, a well-known basketball writer from the Boston Globe, who apparently would refer to the Nets during their tumultuous years in New Jersey until this point as the Exit 16 W Nets in reference to their lack of any real identity. Now, let me remind you guys, this was during the 2002 East Conference Finals against the Celtics. In the Eastern Conference Finals, the Nets went on to win. If the Nets had any opportunity to finally shut up writers like Bob Ryan, who were accurately lampooning their 20-plus year fall from grace, it was then. All they had to do was continue their ascension in one more series, and it would never matter again where the Nets played. Rutgers, the Brendan Byrne slash... Continental Airlines Arena slash IZOD Center slash Prudential, it wouldn't matter. They would be New Jersey basketball champions forever. And then they got blanked by the Lakers. And then the next year, they lost to the Spurs in the finals. Both better teams who had much more success before and after, sure. But as far as New Jersey basketball fandom goes, it seemed like that would be their closest that would be the closest they would get to the mountaintop. A few years later, and they were off to Brooklyn to start anew, solidifying Bob Ryan's sentiment in stone. The New Jersey Nets missed their chance. The Exit 16W Nets, deciding that losing is less painful when you at least have an identity, fled back up the turnpike and over two rivers to Long Island once again. And here we are today. So, my question to you guys is, would a New Jersey Nets championship have changed the outcome? Do you think if they had won in 2002 or 2003, the New Jersey basketball legacy would be different? 
Would a win have been enough to keep them grounded, or would the Nets still have left again? Mike, uh, why don't you start us off? What do you think? So I read just before uh, how frugal the Nets franchise was in the early 2000s. So for me, winning a championship, as much as it would cement a legacy for New Jersey, and all of us New Jerseyans would be so proud of it, we'd be able to celebrate it, there'd be a parade and all that. I don't believe the outcome would have been any different because at the end of the day, money was still the driving force behind a lot of Nets decisions. The sale of the team, I think, was inevitable. Uh, we have the, the famous story of Kyle Korver being drafted by the Nets and traded so that they could pay for a copy machine. You know, I don't know the finances of the NBA, how everything works when you win a championship, but it's my gut feeling that the move to Brooklyn or just to New York in general would not have changed even with the championship. Uh, it would have been fun to look back and say, oh, remember those Nets teams that won in the early 2000s? Kind of the way some people do about the Pistons uh, in 2004. You know, they kind of get lost in the, the history of the Lakers and the Spurs and then all the LeBron James teams. So I think the Nets, as much as we would have been proud of them in New Jersey, I think they still would have moved along. Um, but, you know, it's, it's hard to make that judgment because of all the fallout with players that happened from losing the finals. Uh, so... Rick, I'll turn it over to you. Uh, maybe you could shed some more light on that. Yeah, no, Mike, Mike's absolutely right. I, I don't think um, anything really would have changed the outcome, even if they had won uh, both of those championships, had they gone back-to-back. -back. Uh, I think the, the move to Brooklyn or somewhere in New York was a matter of when, not if. Um, it's just such a different market there. It's, it's bigger. It's more money. Um, and I think a good example of this, too, is uh, the current Warriors, right? Um, the Warriors, for however many years, the past couple seasons, or even during their best seasons um, at Oracle Arena, had been playing in Oakland. And they moved across the bay to San Francisco now because that was just better for them financially. It's a new stadium, uh, better location. So even if you're a team that is super successful, like the, the Warriors are top five in value in the NBA right now, and even they moved. Um, so, yeah, I think it'd be nice, right? We're a couple of Jersey boys. It'd be nice to say we had back-to-back -back championships, even one. But mm -hmm. uh, they, were, they were always leaving us, you know? They, it, was, it was a relationship doomed from the start. Yeah. Yeah, you're probably right. And I think that even at the time of their ascension in the early 2000s, there were people looking to buy the team uh, that were looking to move it, whether it be to another place in Jersey or most likely back to New York where the money is. You just got to follow the money, especially with a team like the Jet. I mean, the Nets, who have no identity. It's just so easy to take them from exit 16W and put them somewhere where even if – even if your team is bad, you can at least be like, well, I represent my city. I represent Brooklyn. No one represents Exit 16W. You know, no, that, that guy, Newark. Bob Ryan, or Newark not even, even. Not even the people of 16W <laughs> represent 16W. <laughs> right, exactly. It's just, it's just such a – it's like a painfully accurate description of the Nets in New Jersey is to call them not by a city name but to just call them by the exit that their, their building is off of. Exactly. Yeah, the truth hurts. The truth does hurt. So that's what we're going to be getting into today. We're going to be getting into the truth, and it does hurt. We're going to be talking about the ABA. We're going to be talking about the beginnings of the Nets, you know, probably the uh, most optimistic mo times uh, for uh, New York Nets or New Jersey Nets fans, I guess. 
And then we're going to be talking about later years, uh, the 2000s, when you know they had their title runs, and then the fallout from those title runs that led to them going to Brooklyn again, or going back to Long Island again, rather. So um, I guess, uh, Rick, why don't you uh, start us off with your ABA uh, knowledge? Okay, so I'm no ABA, NBA historian, but what I do know is that the Nets haven't always been bad. There is some success stories for the Nets, and um, aside from those two championship runs in the early 2000s, most of their success and good times came when they were in the ABA as the New York Nets. Um a lot of that success was because they had Dr. J, Julius Irving. Now, I don't know how much the casual NBA fan knows about Dr. J. Uh, I think a lot of people uh, just kind of view him as just a great dunker uh, with a cool afro. And while those are both true, um, that's not the entire story. Uh, Dr. J was incredible. Uh, I, it's actually not an exaggeration to say at least – uh, for his value in the ABA, he was the LeBron James of the ABA. He was that good. He was um, a three-time ABA Most Valuable Player. He was a five-time ABA All-Star. Um, he was incredible. Uh, and this is all before his NBA achievements because I'm going to get to what happened when he joins the NBA. Now, with the Nets, he was a two-time ABA champion. Um and the Nets were at the top of their game. They were awesome. And after the Nets' second ABA championship, um, the ABA and the NBA merged. Now, there were four teams that joined the NBA, okay? And the Nets were the only team that were required by the NBA to, to pay what was considered an encroachment fee. Now, the Nets didn't have to pay this fee to the NBA as like an entrance fee or anything like that, they had to pay $4.8 million to the New York Knicks for joining the NBA and being in a similar territory. Now, this is, this is absurd. This is just ridiculous, and I have a difficult time accepting this. It's, it, it, this angers Especially me. Especially so now. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's so just aggravating, okay? Because... You would think that, well, if the Nets just joined the NBA and held on to Dr. J, that maybe they would win a championship or two or three. Who knows? Because Dr. J goes on to the NBA and wins the NBA Most Valuable Player Award. He wins himself an NBA championship, and he becomes an 11-time NBA All-Star. And that's after his five All-Star appearances for the, NBA, for the ABA. So, again, it's, it's no exaggeration that at least during this era, Dr. J is one of the best, if not the best, players in the world. And he was a net. <laughs> at least at one point he was a net. So the Nets have to pay this fee to get in the league, and they don't have it. So to pay the $4.8 million to the Knicks, the Nets have to sell – Dr. J's contract to the Philadelphia 76ers just to get into the league. They're the only team that has to do this. No one else does. It's, ju it's just the Nets. It's just our New Jersey luck, okay? So they pay the fee. 
Nets. And the Nets go from winning the 1975-1976 ABA championship to then going on to having the worst record in the NBA the following season. So What was the record? I don't I don't know off the top of my head. I, I should figure it out. It's not 12 and 70 though. Uh, it was 22 and 60. <laughs> 22, 22 and 60. 22 and yeah. 60. But I think wow. I think that's um, just speaks to how good Dr. J was because if you can go from winning a championship to 22 and 60 with one player, I mean that that's that's literally what LeBron James was with the Heat and like the Cavs. Like LeBron James went to four straight NBA Finals with the Heat, and then he left the Heat, and then they didn't make the playoffs. So, like, when you have a player who is iconic and just transcends the game like he did, and you 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 have to sell him, not you're not trading him for like picks or players or some sort of asset. You're just like just trying to like get into the door of the party. It's really frustrating, and I think this is something that, um, at least in terms of the Knicks Nets rivalry, which isn't the most heated rivalry in sports, but I, I, I think it's something that is often forgotten about and people don't really talk about because this is uh, this is almost like um, like the Yankees and Red Sox when like the Red Sox just sold Babe Ruth to the Yankees. Like the, <laughs> this is one of those like ridiculous stories that people just don't talk about. But the Nets, so they go from cool jerseys, awesome players, championship team to being um, a laughing stock uh, for almost what 25 years or so until Jason Kidd comes along and they start to garner uh, some respect in the early 2000s. Yeah. I think what's crazy to me, especially knowing now how much this matters to some people, is that Dr. J is from Long Island. He's from Hempstead, New York. He was, and I've watched a documentary with him. I forget, I think it's just called The Doctor. And he talks about how happy he was to play for long, for like the New York Nets because he was playing in Long Island, because he was so proud of the fact that he was representing his hometown, essentially. And so just, that is like another, like, shit, like just another terrible thing to add to the, the whole remedy of the story, I guess. Yeah, it's so frustrating, too, because he only played for the Nets for three seasons. And in those three seasons, he won two championships. And, oh, man, how aggravating is that? It's even worse that he succeeded in the NBA, right? It wasn't like he dominated the ABA and then couldn't play in the NBA. He went on, and as you said, he did just fine. He won championships and all-star appearances, all that. So, yeah, it could have been a beautiful start to a new franchise. Yeah, it, yeah, it's not like he's uh, bullying lesser competition, right? I mean, because the guys in the NBA were just, they were still, they're good players, right? They was just a separate league. It wasn't like, uh, you know, LeBron James going to the G League and just like right. messing people up. <laughs> like, he, he goes to the NBA and wins a championship and becomes most valuable player of the league. Like, yeah. It, that's, that's the, I think that's where the frustration comes from because he won. Um, ABA most valuable player in the league each year he was with the Nets and then to just be like oh man we're uh, we're kind of broke dude we gotta like sell you 
so that the Knicks, like, you know, aren't angry at us. Like, that's just, it's such BS. Like, we got we to gotta pay a fee because we're kind of close. We're kind of close to you. Bro, get no. out of here. The Knicks deserve all the pain they've had. <laughs> it turns out the Nets had to pay them another $4 million the following year also. I don't know if you saw that uh, as part of this, Rick. But they played the next season um, in New York, and then when they wanted to move to New Jersey, they actually still had to pay another $4 million after a lawsuit got settled. So it wasn't just a one-time. That's ridiculous. Was Matt the $4 Scott's million dollars like in, on a miss-you fee? Like, oh, don't move too far away. <laughs> yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah, eat shit, Knicks. <laughs> <laughs> and then where did they play when they first moved to New Jersey? They play at Rutgers Athletic Center for for five years or four years. They're playing at a college. I mean, I know it's still like – we're talking early NBA, so Four yeah, maybe there were, some, there were some teams that didn't exactly get to like play in the best of stadiums. But you have the New York Knicks right across the river playing in MSG, right? And, and like New Jersey's playing at a college. We're playing at a college arena. It's so sad. And Why would for, anyone for, be a fan of that team in the 70s? Right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. What, I could like the team that plays in the world's most famous arena – or I could play – I could be a fan of the Nets who just sold their best player, and I think they play at a college most people have never even heard of, and it's a sorry estate. Just the, the whole thing. Like, for those of you who don't know Rutgers, it's, it's, it's a sorry athletic scene over there as well. It's <laughs> nothing to be proud of. The, Net, the Nets' time in New Jersey kind of mirrors Rutgers – uh, athletic success. Remember yeah, they had like the one great. they had the one good year. Remember in 06 they beat like Louisville and everyone's going crazy. So that yeah, kind of that's that. kind of like their early 2002-2003 uh, championship runs. And then now like they're just sorry sacks of crap. And I, I could say that. I went to Rutgers. So you know what? <laughs> <laughs> they need to get some players and make me proud too cuz I'm kind of I'm kind of miserable with their with what they're doing too. But yeah, Nets I do have one fun fact here that might have attracted a few fans in 1977. Uh, apparently, the Nets were the first ever team to have an all-left-handed starting lineup in February no way. 1970. Yep, uh, that's one one bright spot. <laughs> just for a fun I mean, fact. Rick, you're left-handed, right? He's kind of. He's like ambidextrous. That's I am, but like that that wouldn't get me to be a fan of the Nets. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you something right now. You're not a true left-hander, that's why. Yeah, I'm not. I guess I'm not a true left-hander, no. So I wouldn't have been a true <laughs> Rutgers Athletic Center Nets fan. Uh, so I just 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 for fun here, you're you're a kid growing up in like the 70s or 80s or whatever, and the, the Nets are playing at Rutgers. What would it take for you to be a fan of the Nets at this point. They would point. have to pay me. I would have, they'd have to pay me <laughs> to walk around pay. wearing Nets shirts to advertise for them. I would not pay a dollar to go yeah. see a basketball game at a college campus. Yeah, uh, frankly, I would... I, no. No way. Yeah, I'd, I'd frankly probably just turn my... If I was like a die-hard like Dr. J fan, we're not that far from Philly. Maybe I would yeah. just like drive the extra hour to the, the Sixers arena. Yeah. Or... I would just become a Knicks fan because the Knicks weren't terrible either, right? Like they oh, had just won their championships yeah, too. That was their time. Yeah, we would have yeah. been Knicks fans, no doubt in my mind. We would. Yeah, we would have absolutely. But dude, honestly, and I'll say this right now, 
coolest NBA player of all time is Walt Clyde Frazier. That guy is so cool. He's so Wheeling cool. And dealing. Wheeling and dealing, spinning and winning in the lane, swishing Styling and dishing. And swishing and dishing, my son. Let's go. <laughs> like, That's Walt my favorite Frazier. part about the Knicks is him calling games. Uh, yeah, he's Green. so cool. He's so cool. So, I mean, yeah. <laughs> then they had, then they had like, what they had Willis Reed, dude. Willis Reed, game seven, like hobbling out, hitting the first two shots and beating the Lakers. Like, that's cool. Where's my Nets moment like that? Yeah, we just have heartbreak. Yeah. No, we just sold they, our best player. <laughs> other than Vince Carter, who's famous around the league, and obviously Dr. J, what Nets player has his own nickname? I remember Jason Kidd when he came into the league. They called him Asen Kidd because he had no J. They said That's that every every time he did a jump shot in like NBA 2K8, they literally said that. <laughs> they called him Asen Kidd because he had no J. So and now he's like top five all time in threes made because of how long he played. So jokes on them. I mean, let's see what else. I don't. There aren't a lot of cool. Now we just got the uh, the old Kmart. Does he, does oh, that even Kmart. Count? It doesn't Kmart. really count. Because it's just his name. Is this his Kmart. name? <laughs> yeah. No, nah, but but it's also a store. Yeah, exactly. It's a shitty. <laughs> is it still a store? Is Kmart still around? Um, I think it might. I think there are a few. Might... There are in Australia. There was one right by my house. They in closed the one in St. George, right? I think. Yeah, it might yeah. Still... Oh yeah, it's Pathmark now. I think. Pathmark. Oh, that one. That one was... sucks too. Remember they changed to the Big K? They were like, oh, we got to rebrand. We're Big yeah, K yeah, now. Yeah. 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 And then it still sucked. It just sucked. Uh, <laughs> Joe Johnson, ISO Joe. ISO Joe, yeah. I mean, that's not okay. necessarily a good name either. Yeah. That's more it's of like, like, hey, in you're... the moment nicknames. <laughs> Dude, Joe Johnson was so good, though, at least for the Nets. Like, as a Nets, overpaid and, like, not a number one guy. But, man, that guy was so clutch. Anyway. I wish, uh, I wish Brooke Lopez had a nickname. He deserved one. Uh, goof. You just call him Goof Lopez. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to do our – we're definitely – I cannot wait for our episode about – Brooke Lopez. Yes. He, I mean, he is the he's the uh, best net of all lead, time. Best net of all time. He's, oh, God. he's <laughs> the franchise league's franchise leader in points. Oh, okay. I have one last fun tidbit about the Nets. So before when they moved to New Jersey, they um, eventually in 1998 or in like yeah 20-plus years after they moved to New Jersey, they moved – their practice facility to the PNY Center in East Rutherford in the, you know, right near where they were playing their games. But prior to that, for about 20 years, the team practiced at the APA Recreation Center in North Bergen, New Jersey, which is just like a small town in Hudson County. And they shared their lockers and practice courts with truck drivers who used the facility. Wow. So while the Knicks were playing in the MSG and practicing somewhere Awesome, probably. The Nets were like sharing soap with truck drivers. Bro, we could have scrimmaged that. Like if I we were alive that. back then, we, we would have run pickup games with them. Probably would have beat them after they stole Dr. J. They sucked. We probably would have beat them. Just force them right. Just force them. Yeah, force them right. All the team shoots left. They're gonna force them right. Yeah, force them right. What a terrible. Yeah, what a terrible thing to be known for. Oh, they did all the same hand. Oh, perfect. Yeah, the, and it's just like even if you like switch defenders on a pick and roll or something, you just defend this guy the same way because you just force them right. Oh man, we would have waxed them. Damn. What was that guy's name? That lanky seven footer you were talking about? 
Uh, Eakins, I think his last name is. Oh, I would have bodied him. Jim <laughs> Eakins. He was, a, he was a bum, probably. <laughs> yeah. Dude, sharing lockers with truck drivers is like... That's less than college basketball, obviously. <laughs> that's like... That's like real crappy high school ball. That's like you're like you your team isn't good and you're just like you don't really have good facilities so you share them with the truck drivers or something. Maybe like a crappy like AAU team. Dude, I could see like Josh man, when we played like travel ball, I could see like my dad like <laughs> doing something yeah, yeah. like renting out like court time in some like <laughs> town like in north bergen because like there was a good deal was, like guys we just gotta like you know i, I know it's kind of weird but let's just like share our lockers with truck drivers like <laughs> because we got like a good deal on the court time yeah. they gave me three hours for one hour price <laughs> like yeah okay oh. all right run suicides nope. like ah shit oh god layup lines now get it out there now that i mean look i it's totally reasonable for a high school team even a college team to have less money to work with and, and have to do that. But a professional basketball team shouldn't be training with, you know, like Trucker Joe. Right? So yeah. so for anyone, you know, I guess for, for the New Jersey audience, they would probably know Smith & Solomon for the CDL driver's license. Like, you know the guy who would be like, go to Smith & Solomon. They help you. Find a job, like that. That guy could have played against the Nets. Yeah, that guy was like, like shooting Jays on the Nets, like Smith yeah. and Solomon. Yeah, go to Smith and Solomon. They help you find a job. Like I tell you right now, he probably couldn't like move that well, man. But set him up in the corner, money, every time. Yeah. So after the Nets joined the NBA, and then later on moved to New Jersey, the struggles continue. They haven't recovered from selling Dr. J. And they are a perennial loser. They are a doormat of the league. And it's really a rough stretch for the Nets. And then what happens is early 2000s, their fortunes seem to change when they trade Stefan Marbury to the Phoenix Suns for Jason Kidd. And things really seem to turn around for them. And I think this is when each of us really started to become... Nets fans, and I know this is when Mike started, and I know he's got a lot to talk about. So for me, just to kind of uh, clear any guilt I might have about jumping on a team that is in the NBA Finals, uh, living in New Jersey, obviously very exciting. Those uh, NBA Finals runs were amazing because of everything we said before, how bad the Nets were for as long as they were bad. And then all of a sudden, in a one-season turnaround, because of Jason Kidd uh, joining this team that has Kerry Kittles, uh, Kenyon Martin, Keith Van Horn, they just got Todd McCullough, they've got a young Richard Jefferson, uh, young Jason Collins, and it just all came together so quickly because of the brilliance of Jason Kidd, uh, who actually finished second in MVP voting that year behind the all-time great Tim Duncan. Uh, so just seeing these runs, the first year, Obviously ended with some disappointment getting swept by the Lakers. But un understandably, the Kobe Shaq Lakers, no one can really fault the Nets for that. Uh, but then doing it again, getting back to the finals. How many teams have we seen lose the finals and then just fizzle out completely the next season, right? So getting back a second time uh, and then losing to another just all-time dynasty in the Spurs, right? So 
the Nets were fortunate in a lot of ways to get to where they got, but also unfortunate of just the timing of when they decided to finally put it all together and just kept running into these juggernauts from the Western Conference. Um, so that kind of starts this cycle for Nets fans of getting your hopes up, thinking, well, we, we've got a real shot here, and then just disappointment. And as proud as we were to have a team represented in the NBA Finals, especially as young kids, uh, it definitely hurts getting swept in the Finals. It's, it's embarrassing. Uh, and then getting back there, getting really close uh, against the Spurs. They definitely were more competitive against the Spurs. But again, just coming up short. And we've joked in the past about the, the 90s Bills teams, right, Josh? Uh, when we go to trivia, yeah. you keep getting to the finals and losing. Uh, so that's its own legacy, right? When we look back at those Nets teams, it's like, oh, those Nets teams that lost to NBA finals. Like, you still get to mention that. <laughs> uh, but it, it's a tough pill to swallow uh, as a fan base, especially when it's brand new success. Uh, and then it's just taken away pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're right. Like, good comparison to the Bills, but I think that might have been a little worse. Yeah. But ultimately, you're right. Like, it is, I don't know, just, it's almost like worse than not even making the finals when you just lose twice in a row. It, 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 the second time, you really, you feel like this needs to be blown up. Like, I felt that vibe kind of this year with the Bucks. you know, with all the hype that the Bucks had in the 2019 season. Then now in the 2020, even more hype because Giannis is a back-to-back guy. Um, for them to come up short again, it just feels like, okay, if you come up short once, fine. Come up short twice, blow it up. Not working, yeah. And, Rick, we've had that debate before, actually, if you remember. Uh, would you rather lose in seven in the conference finals or get swept in the NBA finals? Right, And I think we have uh, some differing views on that. But this is a case where as magical of a run that first finals run was, for the Nets getting to the finals, all anyone remembers is getting swept by the Lakers. So would it have been better to lose in seven in a, like, you know, honorable way? What do you think? Uh, for me, for me, no. Like, as, as a Nets fan, like, we don't really have a lot to hold on to, right? Like, mm-hmm. we, like, our peak is the, are these two years. Yeah. So, like, I, I, they're not championships, but right now this is the closest thing I have to a championship so, yeah, I mean, I'll get swept in the finals as many times as I have to. <laughs> yeah. The success, um, it, it means a lot. You know, we're not NBA champions, but Eastern Conference champions, uh, I don't know. It, yeah, it means a, a lot. You, you get a banner. a banner. Yeah. It's still a banner. It's still um, a cool hat. Yeah. yeah. You know, I got cool shirts from that, too. Yeah. yeah. So, no, I, I mean, it does suck to be swept because – it does kind of give people the sense or the idea that maybe you didn't deserve to be there or you didn't belong. Um, but I think what makes getting swept a little easier is that the Nets returned to the finals the next year. So they did belong. It wasn't you just, yeah. you just ran into Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant. Like that's really, yeah. that's what you, you ran into the three Pete Lakers. Like I'm, honestly, I don't know who wouldn't have gotten swept. So I, I don't really feel too bad. Um, and the next year they went, I think, six games with Spurs. Tim yeah. Duncan, Tony Parker, yeah. David Robinson. It was a much, much and, better series. And they blew game six. I, I believe I read earlier today that they were winning game six. I don't remember it off the top yeah. of my head. So yeah. I, yeah. But they had I a had, shot. They were competitive. Yeah, they were competitive every game. Um, I have 
all Brooklyn Nets games set to record on my DVR, and that includes uh, the classics. So every now and then I'll watch some of the old games, and a lot of them happen to be uh, the early 2000s games in the finals against uh, the Lakers and the Spurs. Some of them will be like the, remember that five-game series against the Pacers in the first round, and uh, some of the classic games against the Celtics too. But... um, yeah, they, they, they deserve to be there, and they belong. So I, I don't hold it against anyone, not just the Nets, uh, just players and teams. Like, have as much as much success as you can. Like, if you lose in the finals, like, it sucks. But, like, you, you got there for a reason. Like, you earned it. Like, right now, the Heat, like, they were a five seed, and, you know, maybe – they're not as good as the Bucks or something. They they beat the Bucks in five games. Like they they worked hard. They deserve to get there. You know, like the the Celtics had some pretty good teams in the early two thousands. Like they weren't great, but they had like Paul Pierce was good. Antoine Walker was good. Antoine Walker was an all star. They had uh, was it Baron Davis and the and the Hornets were good teams with um who was that other guy that number two man? I know they I think they had uh. I don't remember whose number two was, but like they on, those, they on the Hornets teams. Yeah, I think they had Jamal Mashburn. Yeah, Jamal Mashburn was the name that came to my head there. And uh, I think they had some other guy, some guard that was pretty good too. But like they they were good teams, and like they they earned it. And like I always think the Nets were an overachieving team. I don't really like they didn't have the star power. Yeah. Um, they always I think they always out outplayed their potential, which was which was good. And that's probably why they they ended up not really winning the finals because they just. And you can't teach talent, and they just didn't have the talent. Yeah. But they worked hard, and that's that's why we loved them, and still do. Yeah. So what I would like to point out, uh, kind of continuing from this, uh, these two finals losses, every year the Nets lost in the playoffs, they lost to a juggernaut. They weren't losing in the 2000s, to, you know, to an eight seed. They weren't losing to some random group of other overachievers. They were losing to the Lakers or the Spurs the Pistons, or Shaquille O'Neal and Dwayne Wade on the Heat. And then even later in the 2000s, they lost to LeBron in the Heat, right? So mm-hmm, Exactly. It, there is a, a bit of pride there, at least when they were losing, except for the one time they lost to the Bulls in the first round of Game 7. Throw that one away Yeesh. for now. We'll, we'll get to that later. Um, but they were losing to great teams, like historically great players on great teams. Uh, and the Nets just, they they were that team that wasn't the best. Obviously, they didn't win it all, but they were always up there with historically great teams. And that that's something to, I don't know, hold your hat in on. Hindsight, yeah. In hindsight, looking back at that series against the Pistons, the Pistons watched the Nets try to be the upsetters, try to be the overachievers, and they just weren't going over the hill, and the Pistons were like, all right, if you guys aren't going to do this, we're going to do it. Yeah. And then they just, like, took over, yeah. and they ended up winning. Yeah. The, the Pistons ended up being, a, like, exactly what the Nets, the Nets should have been. Should have yeah. been. Like, and it was it was good, too, because at least in those early 2000s, just in the NBA, like, centers and big men were a huge part of the game. Like, low-post yeah. presences like Shaquille O'Neal and Tim Duncan were big. And the Pistons had Ben Wallace, who was like a three-time defensive player of the year and who was the perfect guy to combat like those those teams. So I don't know if you remember, like the first year when the Nets went to the finals and they played the Lakers, they had Todd McCullough. And Todd McCullough 
on Shaquille freaking O'Neal. Shaq still tells the story about how he was disrespected by that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, I, like who is this guy? He can't guard me. Yeah, they put Todd McCullough on Shaquille O'Neal, and like, come on, like, what did you think was gonna happen, <laughs> right? <laughs> so what? What do the Nets do? They go out and they make the right trade. They make the move and they trade for Dikembe Mutombo, who is, I think had won a defensive player of the year. He he is an all time defensive player, and even he got taken to the woodshed by by, by the uh, Tim Duncan. And David Robinson, and he didn't stand a chance. There was no finger wagon in that series from him, and they just got ruined. I think I think um, Jason Collins played yeah. as much center as Dikembe Mutombo did in that series, and Jason Collins ain't getting it done either. <laughs> yeah. So then the Nets went and got Alonzo Mourning the following year. They kept trying. They, yeah, they Alonzo Mourning had, had like uh, a kidney issue, right? Yeah. He had like and a- he like he like I think honestly, you know. He might be faked it. <laughs> uh, so apparently, he I just read didn't about want this. to play for the Nets. Apparently, though, like that was a big, um, that was a big thing of contention between him and Kenyon Martin. Yeah. Like, Kenyon Martin had called him out in the press a few times about him faking his like kidney issue, and but then he did come back. He did come and back. He won and a play championship for... with the Heat. No, but he no, came he back came back. He, he came back for the Nets. For the Nets, yeah. But then Vince Carter posterized him with one of the most iconic playoff dunks of all time. So we got him back. Yeah, bro, he got the last laugh. He won. True. <laughs> <laughs> screw you, Alonzo Morning. Screw the Knicks. <laughs> screw screw the, the Pistons and Ben Wallace. Screw Todd McCullough. I love Shaq, but screw you, Shaq. Screw the Spurs. I, I, I've hated the Spurs forever. Screw the Spurs. <laughs> I think that like it. No, I really think that the the Pistons are the ones that the that really like are embarrassing to think about. To think about that they could have actually beat the Pistons in that Eastern Conference Finals. If you watch, like it, every game was close. I think yeah. they lost Game Six by a bucket or two buckets, and then they blew Game Seven. You know that Jason Kidd had zero points yeah. in Game Seven yeah, against the Pistons. Yeah, awful. Oh. I might, I might have, yeah, I have fun doing this with you guys, but I might have to stop doing this with you guys. I like, I have fun like in, in spurts, like it's fun in moments. And then you bring up like this stuff, like I know a lot about like the heartbreak, but then you bring up stuff like this that I don't know or remember. And you're just like, yeah, you know, like the best player in franchise history just like went 0 for 8 in a game 7. And, uh, you know, they blew it. I'm like, god damn it. Like, bro. <laughs> yep. Oh, that you couldn't hit a freaking shot. That's why they called him Ace and Kid. Yeah. <laughs> no Jason Kid, Kid, Jason Kid stayed home for Game Seven, but Ace and Kid was there. <laughs> he was <laughs> lacing up. In shitty brother Ace. <laughs> it's time for us to each pick uh, a Nets legend, if, if that's what we want to call him, for each of us to reminisce uh, about and. Uh, Talk about some of our favorite memories. So for my Nets legend, uh, I want to talk about Andre Blatch. Um, for those of you who don't know Andre Blatch, he was like a like a six ten forward who like thought he was a guard. Uh, he got a big contract, I think, from the Wizards early on because he was actually pretty good. And then they uh, then they released him. He might have been out of the league for a year or two, and then the Nets decided to give him a chance. And uh, he actually was a, a good source of offense for some of those crappier Nets teams. Um, 
He was always really funny to watch, though, because he was super talented, but he had a very low basketball IQ. And I know we we all know someone uh, or have a friend that when we would go to, like, the park or the playground to go play, we would always have that friend or person that we knew that would just shoot the ball right away no matter when they touched the ball and they wouldn't pass. This was Andre Blatch. Andre Blatch never passed the ball, and that got really frustrating because he wa- he wasn't Kobe. Like, pass the ball, dude. But it was fun, though, because he would do a lot of, like, turnaround fadeaways and actually would, like, make a fair amount of them. So he would probably average, I don't know, like 16 a game for some of those crappier Nets teams. Sometimes he'd start, sometimes he'd come off the bench. And Andre Blatch was really fun. He was kind of like a... One of the more modern-day versions of uh, Gerald Green, who I think I've talked about in one of our previous podcasts, but he kind of was, like, left for dead in the NBA, and the Nets gave him a chance, and he was was fun. He wasn't the type of guy you'd want on your team if you wanted to win games, but he he was fun if you were just chilling in the basement (laughs) with your buddies drinking some DPs (laughs) and just watching the Nets. That's exactly what we did. I, I remember those days so well with Andre Blatch because you're right. It was on those bad Nets teams. And when teams are bad, someone's going to score the ball, right? At some point, someone's got to score. And Andre Blatch was – I think we even made it a game where we were like, as soon as he catches it, he's not going to pass. We, we focused in every time he caught the ball because we knew he wasn't going to pass. And he would always do, like, these weird head fakes. Yeah. He was kind of in that, like, JaVale McGee era on Shaq and yes. a Fool. Like, it was always either JaVel McGee or Andre Blatch showing up on Shaq and a Fool. Uh, and, yeah, he, he was good entertainment for those bad teams where we knew we weren't going to win. Yes. I don't know where Andre Blatch is now, but, Andre, if you're listening, I uh, hope you're good, bud. I think he's doing actually really well overseas somewhere. I forget oh, dude. where it was. It might be China, but I think he's actually playing pretty well somewhere overseas, Bro, which is great he- for him. If he's overseas, I just know he's killing it right now. He's pissing off the coaches because he don't pass, but he's killing <laughs> it right now. Dude, there is, there is no way, like, the Chinese Basketball League can contain Andre Blatch. Like, put him on the low post, and that man will head fake, pump fake, and just turn around and just sink Jays from just 10 feet out. Oh, man. Nah, sorry, the, the the Shanghai Dragons, you do not have a chance, my friend. So I'm going to mispronounce these, unfortunate, unfortunately I'm going to mispronounce these names, but he played for the uh, Xinjiang Flying Tigers from 14 to 18, and then the Tianjin Golden Lions this last year. Uh, and this past season, in 19 games, he averaged almost 21 points, 11 rebounds, 4 assists, 1.7 steals, and 1.8 blocks. So he's the GOAT in China. Bro, he's a Hall of Famer. <laughs> oh, <laughs> my God. Dude, if you're at, dude, averaging those numbers, dude, yeah. over 20 a game, over 10 rebounds a game. I don't know why he learned to pass in China, but he's averaging four assists? Yeah. Bro, he's the black Nikola Jokic. <laughs> <laughs> and it looks like in his first season in China, he averaged 31 a game. Oh, 31. Yeah. 15, 5, and 3 steals in his first season in China. Who are they putting on the court? 31, 15, 5, and 3 steals? Who is coming to the court? Those are better numbers than Braun. (laughs) They're playing the 77 left-handed Nets out there. Yeah, what the heck? Yeah, I would murder those Nets. (laughs) 
<laughs> Kill those. Guys. Honestly, that's probably who it is. It's like they, what are they in like their their seventies or eighties now? This the the seventy seven Nets and they're coming out with their walkers like yeah we came we were good and I'm like nah bro sorry go back to Rutgers. Oh, yeah, go man. back to the athletic center. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there's a uh, NBA. Uh, sorry, Nets legend Andre Blatch. Uh, great choice, Rick. Great choice. Good memories from Andre Blatch. I am going to go with Sean Livingston for my Nets legend. And most people, most NBA fans probably don't think of the Nets when they think of Sean Livingston. He's been a bit of a journeyman after his unfortunate, devastating knee injury. Most recently, he's had success with the Warriors, winning a few championships. But it was the Brooklyn Nets in 2013-14 that Sean Livingston made his return to success in the NBA. And the numbers don't jump out at you. He only averaged about eight points, three assists, three rebounds. But that was a season where he played a lot because of injuries to the Nets. He got to show his athleticism was still there. His basketball IQ was still there. And he was essentially auditioning for another NBA team to eventually pick him up. Because everyone knew that was when the Nets were in terrible salary cap situations, paying millions in luxury taxes because of the Paul Pierce Garnett trade. Uh, So Sean Livingston was auditioning for a future role with a different team. And he gave us a great season on the Nets. And it was really fun to watch him move on to the Warriors. And I remember thinking when the Warriors signed him, because they had just signed Igo Adala the season before that. And that was a great move for them. But when they got Livingston, we all knew, like, that was going to be something that could put them over the hump to win an actual championship. And that's what happened. Sean Livingston was a contributor immediately to that team. Tall point guard, mismatch, no matter who's guarding him, hits that pull-up mid-range jump shot almost automatically. Uh, So even though he only spent one season with the Nets, it was a really cool time for Nets fans to see this player come back from devastating injury, be on the Nets for one season, to then move on to greatness. And for me, that's what makes him a Nets legend. (laughs) Awesome. I love Sean Livingston. I'm a big Sean Livingston fan, too, and I think um, after talking about him and, and Andre Blatch, too, and even the mention of Gerald Green, uh, I think this shows, like, the Nets just have a history of giving forgotten players second chances, and yeah. more times than not, they, they really make something of themselves when they give that second chance. Um, I think a similar situation is kind of like D'Angelo Russell, right? Like, he was kind of considered a bust with the Lakers and the Nets traded for him. And now he's a max contract guy. So it's, it's kind of cool seeing like the Nets, like they're a stepping stone. Yeah, they are. Like they give these guys that like people either discard or forget about. Is that, or don't is that cool? Is that cool? <laughs> well, it, like, I mean, it's something. It's kind of, it kind of like, <laughs> it's kind of just what the Nets are though. Right. Like they, they haven't been that like, Top tier team, but like, I don't, I don't know. They, know. Give, they give you hope. Here, think of it this way though: the Knicks aren't doing it. How That's many players true. go to the Knicks as a resurgence, yeah. right? Well, so the, the Knicks are just bad all the time. But at least the Nets have these guys that come in, show a spark, and then move on to other things. Yeah. I, I guess would take that. I guess it's positive too, though, that like, it's it's it hasn't just been once or twice. It's kind of a trend. So yeah. It's kind of nice that like the Nets, I guess, have an eye for talent that maybe not every team does. So, 
like Sean Livingston, like you said, like the the numbers don't jump off the page, but he's a leader. He's a guy who knows how to run an offense. He has the size, the the defense. It's he's a a great piece for a championship team, and that's why he's got three rings. And also, just looking at uh, his previously played for team, Sean Livingston, after his injury, because everyone knows he was supposed to be the next big thing, then got hurt. When he came back to the NBA, it looks like almost every season he played for three different teams, right? In 08-09, he played for um, maybe two teams, Miami and uh, the Thunder. The next year, he played for the Thunder and the Wizards. Then the next year, like, he kept playing for multiple teams, and the Nets was finally where he made his home, at least for that one full season, you know, start to finish. I just, you know, I'm happy for him. I loved him on the Warriors. I loved watching him be, like, just the perfect role guy. You know, he, every time, like, the Warriors had such a great starting five. But, you know, what will never be forgotten is just how deep their bench was mm-hmm. for so many years. And it wasn't really until last year where, like, the Warriors had, like, a weak bench. But, like, 2015, 16, 17, just incredible performances from him. He, I remember he won. He, like, single-handedly won game one in the uh, NBA Finals, I think in 2016, when they ended up losing mm-hmm. to uh, Cleveland. Probably other, other than the Raptors, who I don't really count because you know Durant was hurt and it wasn't like a full situation for them. That was probably their hardest Finals, right? Like the one they ended up losing. Mm-hmm. And to have your bench guy put a game on his back, it's pretty cool. That's yeah. really cool, actually. All right, so my guy is not really like a lesser legend. He is like a legitimate MB, uh, Nets legend, Keith Van Horn. Keith Van Horn was a name that I heard my whole childhood, as you guys probably did, just because there's a name. It's just, he's just got like a name. It's like a name you just say. <laughs> the unique name. You go, yeah, yeah, Keith Van Horn. Keith Van Horn. He's on Keith the Nets, Keith Van Horn. <laughs> and, I mean, I didn't know this until today, but Keith Van Horn led the team in scoring his rookie year. And he led the team in scoring the next year, too. It wasn't great. It was like 20 points a game. But still, and they went to the playoffs. So, you know, to be leading your team in scoring your rookie year is not something that everyone does. That's pretty awesome. But something that I found about him that's even cooler than leading the team in scoring is that he was on the cover of NBA Jam 99, the Nintendo 64 game. He was on the cover? (laughs) He was the cover. I think I it. That's now, amazing. that is the game for the, it's for the Nintendo 64. It was made by Acclaim. And Acclaim could not secure the licensing to use Michael Jordan's name or likeness. And so he wasn't available as a player for the Chicago Bulls. Instead, a player named Roster Guard was in his position. <laughs> That's funny. And, and I thought that was pretty great. That um, the fact that Van Horn is the, on the cover of a video game is pretty bizarre. Also, less I mean, I don't know who will be impressed by this, but because of Van Horn's uh, success his rookie year, it led him to be the first white player on the cover of Slam Magazine. Wow. Ooh, that's, a, mean, that's an achievement. Cover of Slam NBA Mag- Jam and Slam Magazine? Yeah, he had a crazy, wow. like, seven, 1998... 99 was just like Keith Van You were living in Keith Van Horn's world. You didn't know it, but you were. He was just on the top of top of his life, 
top of his game. He was killing it. Um, I think I had like a shirt of his, not a jersey, but like a shirt, just like a New Jersey Nets white T-shirt with like Van Horn and 44 on the back of it. That probably ended up being like a rag that I used to clean things with. But I did have it at one point, so good for Keith, good for Slam, good for NBA Jam. should honestly make a documentary about that, of how he got on the cover of those. Like, that's insane to think of at that time who he was. Like, yeah, he was a good player, but he wasn't a superstar. And he's a white NBA player. Like, it was, you know, pretty rare back then for them to be as prominent uh, and be covered athletes right like i really would like to see a whole like behind the scenes documentary of this i think that would be so interesting to see i don't remember but do you guys know if he was like a flashy was he like a flashy player i mean he only averaged like 20 points yeah i mean he would make a flashy pass every now and then especially when he's playing with jason kidd i think it rubbed off on i don't i don't know if you guys remember too at at any time he'd um he'd make a three-point shot he'd also like put both of his hands like straight up in the air like a like a referee would when when a guy makes a field goal in football, so like Keith Van Horn, and he'd like he'd like run down the court with like both hands up on it, and that like that was like his thing. He also had like the knee high socks. Yeah, so I yeah. guess that was like I don't know if that's like flashy, but it's unique. Yeah. Um, a fun fact too, Josh. I don't know if you knew this, but he was involved in the Jason Kidd Devin Harris trade. So oh yes. He was on the Mavericks at the time with Devin Harris, and I don't really know exactly how it worked, but in order to complete the trade, uh, the Nets, well, the the Mavericks had to sign Van Horn to a three-year deal, mm-hmm. and he actually never played a game. He was retired at this point. He wasn't, like, in the league. He just signed this, like, three-year contract, and he got paid $4.3 million, and he never paid it. He never paid, played a game on the contract. What a baller. Well, that's a true baller. He went to the Gilbert Arenas school of not playing. That's pretty <laughs> awesome. That was awesome. Yeah, or the uh, Andre Iguodala school of not playing. Look at that guy. Yeah, just showing up for the finals. Well, Andre earned it. I don't know if a guy like Keith Van Horn earned it. I mean, after his like first – he played for the Nets for five seasons. He had – you know, they were good seasons. He averaged, like, either in the high teens or possibly 20 points uh, for a season uh, two or three times. But after he left, he went to the Sixers for a year. He was on the Knicks. He was on the Bucks. He was on the Mavericks for a couple years. But, you know, within 10 years, he was drafted in 97, and by 2007, he was washed. So, I mean, this is a whatever guy. But he was on NBA Jam 99. And is a Nets legend. Is a Nets legend. He's a legitimate Nets legend. He's a legitimate Nets legend. He is a legitimate Nets legend. Yeah. Come back next week, guys, to the best is net to come. We're going to be talking about the transition the New Jersey Nets had to make to Brooklyn. This is something that we remember. This is something we have ex- real experiences with. We're going to be talking about their last game in in uh, New Jersey, their first game in Brooklyn. All that good stuff. Be a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to The Best Is Net to Come. Mm-hmm.